Embarking on the journey of business ownership transfer can be complicated and emotional, particularly with family entwined. Join me, Vincent Mastrovito, owner of Prometheus Partners in Finishing Touches, the podcast that genuinely understands your challenges and aims to equip you with invaluable tips for a smooth business succession. By the end of each episode, you'll feel more confident and ready to guide your business into the next phase. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Finishing Touches. Today, I have a special guest, David Friedman, a renowned expert in the field of leadership and organizational culture. David has an impressive resume, uh, having served as the CEO of two award-winning companies and authored three insightful books on organizational culture. He's also delivered over 700 workshops and keynote programs, sharing his wealth of knowledge with business leaders from around the world. Um, In 2011, David published his first book, Fundamentally Different, which dives into the importance of culture in shaping successful companies. And just recently in 21, he released a second edition of Culture by Design, be more of a groundbreaking how-to manual for building high-performance cultures, even in the new remote work environment. So in addition to that, he's also the creator of CultureWise, which is an operational system that has proven methods that help organizations create, drive, and maintain high-performing cultures. This system is straightforward, practical, and easy to implement, making it an invaluable tool for any business striving for excellence. So Today, we'll be exploring some of the fascinating world of leadership and organizational culture and organizational values, which are really important with David. And we'll dive into topics like when David first realized the importance of culture in a company or organization and why internal culture is just as crucial as financial and marketing experts. So we won't delay anymore. We're going to dive right into this. David Freeman, welcome to Finishing Touches. Great to have you here. I know we've waited a while to get you on the show, but uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, It's my pleasure, Vincent. Look forward to having a good conversation with you. Awesome. David, let's talk in about, you know, as an exit and growth advisor, we do analysis on companies. Part of them is certainly on leadership and and their function and kind of how well they're doing. And then another piece of what we do is built on people as like how well and is their culture incentives and all the things that go around with just people, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think we both could agree that it is people that move a company forward, not a company that moves a company forward, right? Absolutely. You're only going to go as far as your people take you. If you've got a highly functioning group of people, you're going to go 10 times as far. And if you've got a screwed up dysfunctional group of people, you're not going very far. I don't care how good your strategy or your document might be. Exactly. So share with our listeners, David, help us understand a little bit more about the specific experiences or moment that made you realize the significance of organizational culture in a company or an organization. You know, it's interesting, Vincent, when I go back to you know my origins in this whole culture work, I actually didn't think of it as culture. That what happened actually is I, I was running my first company, which was an employee benefits consulting company. And when I started, there were a couple of people and we grew and we, you know, eventually when I sold it, we had over a hundred people. But in the early days of that company, most of my staff were family members of mine. Uh, when we had 15 or 20 people, like two thirds of them were my family. And when it was all family, 
I figured, you know, we all grew up in the same family. We knew how to do things. And when Mm -hmm. we started to hire people that were outside my family, I had this recognition that I can't assume that all of these people think like I do. And, and I have, I have a very high set of standards for myself and everybody around me. And I understood that if I wanted people to do things in a certain way in our company, well, then I had to teach them what I wanted. I couldn't just assume they were going to magically have that inside them. I have to be clear about exactly what it is that, that I was looking for, how I wanted us to operate. And I had to teach that stuff over and over and over again. And so I went about documenting and teaching the principles for how I wanted us to run. At the time, I was not thinking about that as culture. I was just thinking of it as standards. These are the standards for how we're going to do something. In retrospect, looking back, oh, I guess that was really culture. But to me, it wasn't this like epiphany that culture is really important. It was as a leader, my commitment to us operating according to a set of principles and standards and wanting to make sure that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Because some of that could be confused with uh, values, right? And I'm sure they tie in together when you're taking a look at how do you want people to act and what do you want them to do? Let's talk about organizational internal culture and its impact on the performance of a company, right? Whether a company is looking to grow its value and sustain and just be more profitable and more efficient as they kind of go through the process, or they're looking at some type of a transition down the road, whether it's to the next generation or probably some sale outside, this has to have an impact on the performance. How do you, from your, how do you look at this? Yeah. How does that yeah, work? No out? question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's a great observation you're making, Vincent. I would answer that in a couple of ways. First, let me describe the many different ways in which the organization's culture impacts performance. And then I'll share some examples of my own experience with it in terms of actual valuation in a sale, which awesome. is what you're really getting at, given your yes. work. So, so let's start with just performance itself. When you look at the impact of culture, I mean, I often say to people that if I'm a CEO and I'm thinking about the various things I can do in my company that will impact performance, I don't think there's a, a lever I can pull that has more impact on more different aspects of performance than working on our culture. So working on our culture impacts certainly our ability to attract and retain the kind of people that we want. You know, that has an enormous impact. Working on our culture impacts the way that our people deliver customer service to whoever our customers are, internal and external customers. Our culture affects how collaborative people are with each other. It affects the pride they take in the quality of the work that they're doing. You know, when I'm in a culture where everybody's doing high quality work and everybody's motivated, well, I'm not going to be the slacker. I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm doing that. If I'm in a culture where nobody seems to give a damn, well, then, then a lot of people kind of sink to that level. It affects, you know, it affects innovation. You know, if I create the right kind of culture where people aren't afraid to try new things, we get more innovative. If I'm, if I have in a culture where people, you know, learn quickly that, hey, if you do something and it doesn't work, you're going to, somebody's going to jump down your throat. I learn never to try anything new. So it affects virtually every part of our company. You know, it's interesting. In some of the workshops that I do, there's a, I do workshops mostly with CEOs of companies. And one of the questions that I, I sometimes do this little exercise with them where I ask them, 
on a one to five scale in terms of its importance to the bottom line. So again, we're talking about finances, not fuzzy stuff, you know, how much right. money we're making. I asked them on a one to five scale with one being culture doesn't have much impact on the bottom line. Five is it has an enormous impact on bottom line. Where would you rate the importance of culture? And I go around the room and I might have 15 or 20 CEOs and I'll ask, you know, Vincent, what would you rate it? And Bill and Joe and Tom and whoever. And typically almost every one of them these days will give it a five. Mm -hmm. I usually have maybe a couple of fours and I always have at least one guy or woman who gives it a seven on a, you know, on a one to five scale in terms of its <laughs> impact. on. It. So people wow. get that this impacts the bottom line. But then the really interesting thing about this is I'll ask him, all right, so how many of you in this room currently have some kind of a written documented strategic plan for, for your goals, priorities, initiatives, what you need to accomplish this year as a company? And most of them do. And I'll ask him, so how many of you have some kind of a a sales plan that identifies this year's targets, quotas, goals. How are you going to hit your sales numbers this year? Most of them have that. Then I ask them, so you're all running your company with, with a financial plan. You know, you're not running your company without a budget or a forecast. And obviously they all have that. And then I ask them, so how many of you have some kind of a written documented plan for how you're driving the culture of your company? Mm -hmm. Almost nobody. And I say, well, yeah. let me see if I just got this straight. You just told me this was a five in terms of its impact on the bottom line, and you're just winging it, you have no plan for it? It seems kind of crazy. And we go deeper into why that is and, and, and what that would look like to have a plan. But back to your question about, you know, it, it, we all know that it has an enormous impact on the performance of every aspect of our company. When I look at how that relates to valuation, since that's the work that you're doing most of the time, all right, that, this is all great, Friedman, that sounds good, but I'm trying to sell my darn company. Is this worth anything? So let me start with my own experience. So my first company that I built and sold, we all know, and, and you know better than anybody, that when we sell our companies based on the time in the, the economy and your particular industry, we're all going to sell for some multiple of our earnings. Mm -hmm. And if I look at when I sold my first company, what was the multiple we got versus the multiples that were pretty standard in our industry at that time? It's reasonable to assume that the delta was related to this extra value that we had created because of our culture. The difference was, to me personally, about a $10 million difference in the value of our company. Um, and I have spoken to many other clients we've worked with who have sold their companies and said the acquirers came in and when they saw our culture, they said, wow, that's really something. And they were able to achieve a significantly higher multiple. I was talking recently to a large physical therapy operation. Guy built, a, he had a network of probably 30, 40, 50 physical therapy offices. And he had built them and we had worked on him to build the culture that we do. And when he sold that company to a private equity company, the multiple that he got was dramatically higher than what multiples were in that industry at that time. And I hear this over and over and over again. So for your audience that's interested in selling companies, yeah, this is, this is true economic value. This is translated not just into the ongoing performance of your people, but in terms of the sale price that you get. Oh, yeah. And even if you just want to grow the business, right? There's To, to us, there's three different types of businesses or business owners, CEOs out there, ones that want to grow their company, 
ones that want to make it easier to want to run and then ones that want to transition out in the more near future. So either yeah. one of those people are going to need top talent and great culture uh, to be able to monetize more of the value or the efficiencies to get to where they want to go. Right. It's not no question. No question about it. Because this is leadership and culture because they're intimately tied together. Absolutely. Do you see a bigger issue in the leadership and how they're functioning? And how do you start to determine how effective they can shape and influence the culture based on what they're doing now? Because some of our experiences have been there's some really good leadership out there. Most of them. Um, are great people, but they're fairly inexperienced in what true leadership really is and how do they drive and lead people to do. So what have been some of your experiences and kind of what you see and how you work through that? Yeah, it's a good question, Vincent. You know, when I look at all of the companies we've worked with, and so we've worked with somewhere north of 750 different companies. So mm -hmm. that's a lot of data points. That's and a lot. It is. And, and, and sometimes people ask me, all right, so when you look at the people who implement what I teach, the system for building culture, and you look at which are the ones that are really successful and which ones aren't so successful, what's the difference? And I always say to them that a, a couple things are the difference. Number one is that driving culture starts at the top. And so I often say that the single most important ingredient in the success of any culture initiative is what I call CEO sponsorship. It starts at the top. It doesn't get, this is not an HR function. This is a strategic leadership function. And so if you don't have a CEO at the top who says, you know, this is a critical part of our success, you're not going to get very far. Um, you know, they can't pass this off as an HR function. So I think that's number one. The second thing I would say, and it goes to your question, is that having worked with hundreds and hundreds of leaders, they're not all equally good leaders. <laughs> and right. better leaders implement everything they do better, mm -hmm. whether they're implementing the system I teach or they're implementing lean or they're implementing some other process improvement, whatever they're implementing, they're going to do it better when they're a better leader. And I say that, you know, not in jest. I said that very seriously that, you know, as I look at, there are many CEOs who are smart, capable business strategists. Let me call it that, that they make good decisions in terms of allocation of resources and strategy and things like that. And so they make good decisions and they run reasonably successful companies. But there's a difference in my mind and my experience between that and being a good leader. So I have seen many people who've built great businesses. These are smart people. And they, again, they make good strategic decisions and it's enabled them to be successful. That doesn't mean that's not the same thing as being a good leader. Being a good leader is about people and your ability to organize a group of people to move in a certain direction and perform at the highest level. And that's a very different skill set. And it, it doesn't exist in all leaders equally. No, and it also means I think that, you know, a lot of them need some additional training or um, absolutely, just, you know, discovering, reading and, and being in groups, um, whether it's through things like Vistage or going through your group and, and, and all of this stuff 
you can't learn enough because it helps you manage and work through your department, your respective, you know, discipline, whatever you're at with the company. No question. And what I would add to what you're saying, Vincent, is as it relates to culture specifically, you know, I was giving the example a moment ago of, you know, when I do this, this sort of informal survey of leaders about how important culture is and the fact that they don't have a plan for it. When I ask them why that is, most of them have never thought about it. <laughs> they, they don't, they have not thought about, I mean, they've thought about culture. They know it's really important, but they've not thought about culture as a systematic business process. And so it's not lack of belief that this is important for most of them. For some it is, but for most, it's not lack of belief that this is important. Rather, it's they don't know how to do it. They don't right. have, we have systems and you work with them all the time. We have systems for accounting and finance and operation and sales and other things. But for most leaders, they've never seen a system for doing culture. They don't see culture as a business process. They see it as just sort of this squishy thing that's important in our company and we ought to have a good one, but they don't see it as a, as a business process. And I try to teach them it is a business process. In fact, it might be the most important business process you have. And we have to be systematic about it. So as we kind of finish up here, what do you see for uh, the future of organizational culture involving any trends or changes that you anticipate in some of the years to come? What I would say, Vincent, is that clearly, probably one of the most significant factors that that's driving increased attention on organizational culture is the move to remote work. You know, mm-hmm. the, the pandemic opened up a Pandora's box in a way that, <laughs> right. okay, the pandemic forced everybody to go remote. And then they discovered, you know what? This actually works pretty well in many respects. Yes, there are limitations sure. to it. But in many respects, we discovered that we can actually do this pretty well. And this is pretty effective. And in fact, a whole lot of people like it and like it more. And so all of a sudden, like we can't stick that one back in the box. It's out. <laughs> we can't go back and say, all right, everybody, pandemic's done. Let's all go back to work and forget about that remote stuff. No, it's here to stay. And the challenge that that creates, of course, is that when for many organizations, culture was mostly driven by physical proximity. We were all together and I saw you every day and you're the CEO and you're my senior leaders and I saw you every day and I just sort of picked up the vibe from you. Well, that was okay when we were all together. But now that we're not all seeing each other, it's forced organizations to need to confront the fact that they have to have something more substantive, something more systematic to drive their culture. Because in the absence of that, we lose it. You know, there are so many companies that were proud of their cultures that thought, boy, you know, our culture is one of our biggest advantages. And now we're worried about, are we, how we're going to maintain that given that we don't see each other anymore? And, and even some of those people, not only do we not see them anymore, but how do we make sure that our people feel connected to our company? Some of these Mm -hmm. people we hired and they've never been to the home office. And they've never been around other people. They've been working out of their house. So they never, I mean, the old people at least had the memory of all the people they used to see. The new people we hire, they've never even seen these people before. They didn't, they, they, were, they didn't touch the mothership. How do we keep those people connected and feeling a part of our company and not lose those people? And so I think that's the biggest trend that I see is the challenge of the remote work environment and still building culture in that kind of an environment. Yeah, great point. 
Great point. David, thanks so much for being here today. I know we're going to be able to have another conversation about this topic. It is so deep and wide. There's just so much to it. And you have so much to offer companies to not only your books, but your wisdom and experience and certainly a lot of the processes that you guys have done through Culturize. So really appreciate you being here today and hope that you would want to come back on the show and and talk about this uh, later on, because I think it'd be very well received and people would really enjoy listening to more things that you have and what's going on in the future. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'd be happy to do it again, Vincent. Awesome. All right. Well, we hope everybody enjoyed this episode of a Finishing Touches. Uh, For even more content, check out our website at prometuspartners.com. And if our podcast has been helpful for you, please leave us a review to help others discover us uh, and stay updated with the latest tips and insights. We look forward to accompanying you on your journey to a successful business transition in our next episode. So have a great day and a great week, everyone. And uh, thanks for being here. That's a wrap on today's episode of Finishing Touches. For more information and guidance, head over to PrometheusPartners.com. Your feedback means the world to us, so please take a moment and leave a review of the podcast. You can stay in the loop or ask me a question by connecting with me on LinkedIn or visit our website and start a conversation with me. We look forward to accompanying you on your journey to a successful business transition in our next episode and have a great week. Thank you so much.